Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're here to be with you. Our heart's desire, Lord, is to leave this place knowing that we have heard your voice. We have sensed your will and we have discovered your direction. Be with us, Lord, as we seek to become what you'd have us be. Guide us, Lord, in this venture. We ask these things, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Before I go any further, do we need to change the microphone, buddy? Testing, one, two. Let's try it and see if we can make it, okay? If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me, first of all, to a passage in Acts. I throw my sound guys a curve because I gave them Amos first, but I want to read you a few verses found in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. I want to preach this morning on the magnificent man in the pew. The magnificent man in the pew. We're going to try something different, y'all, because I got a lot of static up here. try it this way, see if it, can you hear me at all? Okay, we're good to go. Beginning with verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official, in charge of all the treasure of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. You know the story. You know what happens. You know how he shares the gospel with this man from a foreign land and how he comes to a knowledge of Christ that he will carry it all the way back to Ethiopia with him. But what I want you to really pick up on this passage is that Philip's not the pastor. He's not a... He is not one of the twelve disciples. He is one of God's magnificent in the pew. He is one just like you sitting there who God taps him on the shoulder and says, I have a mission for you. God's magnificent man and woman in the pew. It was Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and a wife. Again, God's magnificent man and woman in the pew. They took Paul under their wing as fellow tent makers. They guided him. They helped him. They ministered to him. They became God's magnificent person in the pew. On that hillside as Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount that day, there was a boy 
in the audience. He had brought a sack lunch that day, a couple of fish, a little bread. And when the time came to feed that multitude, it was that boy that became the magnificent man in the pew who stepped up and said, here's what I've got, and he gave it to his Lord. I believe that God wants us to be more than just the man in the pew. God has gifted every single believer that they might serve Christ. The problem is, is we become convinced that all we need to do is come and listen. And that's the end of it. I want you to turn back with me to the fifth chapter of the book of Amos. Would you do that? Amos chapter 5. They're going to try to get this on the screen for us. Y'all forget about the sound. We're going to make it. Amos chapter 5. Listen to what God says. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is that about Amos. Amos not a preacher. He's not a prophet. He is God's man in the pew. Listen to what happens in Amos chapter 5, beginning with verse 21 and following. I hate, I despise your religious feast. I cannot stand your assembly. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Now who's speaking here? Well, Amos is delivering to Israel the message from God. Now what does that mean? What is God saying to his people? He says, I don't like to go to church with y'all. Now think about that for a moment. I don't even want your burnt offerings. I will not accept them. I will not accept your choice offering. He says, I don't care if you came this morning and put $1,000 in the plate. He said, I don't want it. Can you imagine that? If you brought to God your best gift and laid it on the altar, and he said, I don't want it. Why? Listen, as we read on. I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. We heard some beautiful music this morning. God said from heaven to them, he said, listen, I don't want to hear your music anymore. I will not listen to the music of your harps. And then he says, but. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, what's he talking about? What was the real problem? The real problem was that Israel was coming to worship. They were coming by the multitudes, but it was like a funnel. God's word was being poured in their ear on one end and it was going out the other. God never intended that. God intends for you and I like a sponge to soak up his truth that we might use it to bring cleansing and healing to a world around us. He prepares us here for the battle out there. No period in ancient history better paralleled the contemporary America than 8th century Palestine. It was a day of luxury, immorality and church attendance. As Amos looked down from the Judean hills, he could see the roads filled with those going to church. And God threw Amos an angry layman and a fed-up farmer. 
said to Israel, God was displeased with their worship. He said they transgressed when they came to Bethel. The word Bethel in Hebrew meant house of God. Why? God was displeased with his people. They became content to hear his word rather than practice it. To hear his word rather than practice it. What good is it? What good does it mean to hear thou shalt not steal? We hear it. If we go to school and we steal. If we walk in Walmart and we shoplift and we put it in our pocket. What good does it, it, it do to hear that we are not to gossip and tear other people's lives down and their reputations and destroy their life? And we get on our phone and, and we text to one of our friends negative comments that destroy their reputation and trouble their hearts. Over a hundred years ago, the greatest preachers in the last many centuries were in England. Some of the greatest preachers of all history. The people came and they listened by the thousands. Today, over a hundred years later, less than 5% of the English go to church. One writer described it like this. Here's men who come. They hear, but they were fed up with the word of God coming to them. And never flowing through them. Guys, if we're going to find fulfillment and purpose and meaning in our relationship with Christ, it is not enough to come and listen. We must allow his truth to funnel through and filter through our lives to the world around us in some way or some fashion. Guys, we're all gifted different. Some of you have the gift of evangelism. And you're the happiest in your Christian walk when you're out there tapping on shoulders and sharing the gospel one by one. That is your gift. Some of us have the gift of encouragement. And you're happiest when you're out there encouraging people and cheering them on. Some of you have the gift of helps. And you need to take that gift and use it to touch and move the hearts and lives of people around you. It is not enough for it to come to us. It must flow through us. Herod Butt says the ladder of dedication in the view of Christianity was at the top. There's the foreign missionary. And then there's the pastor. Then there's the staff. And then he said came the lowly layman. I'm going to tell you something. There's no such thing as a lowly layman. You are God's magnificent man in the pew. And your role is critical the cause of Christ in any community and any church you have an important role he asked the question where is man needed where can I serve you see Christianity takes place out there in the world that's why your position is so important you're out there and for the most part, we pastors are in here. You mean in the church, Brother Ken? No, I mean in a bubble. 
we're in a bubble. Because you see, the lost world says concerning the preacher and the pastor and the evangelist, well, they're supposed to do that. Well, they're right. We do supposed to do that. But you walk with them every day. You're right beside them in classroom and at work. And when they see Christ in you, being lived out in daily experience by the way you talk and the way you carry out your life, by the way you treat your spouse and the way you treat your children and your fellow man, when they see that, they realize, well, they don't have to do that. They're they're not hired to do that. You are the magnificent man in the pew. You're needed in evangelism. You have contacts. You have relationships that you cultivate. You have conversation with people. I'm going to tell you something, kids. When I was about 16, my best buddy came to Christ. He was the best buddy I've ever had all my life. We grew up together. We spent time together. I'd spent a lot of time at his house. His dad was an alcoholic. I saw a lot of difficult things in that household. But you know, the one thing I did not ever remember doing as a born-again believer in Christ since I was 10 years old, I never sat down with my best friend and told him how to come to Jesus. So at 17, when he came to a knowledge of Christ, I realized for the first time I had failed at my mission as a best friend. Now, God through the years gave me a lot of opportunities to minister to that good friend. But I had failed. We are to be an evangelist. Parents, bring me daughters and sons that I might sit down with and share them the gospel. That is a way in which they can be a part of that evangelism as they share it. If they have questions, they bring and allow me to be a part of that. And I'm thankful for that. They become a part of that team. Sometimes a teacher will bring me a child or a friend or someone and give me an opportunity to be a part of that co-worker brings a friend and they become a part of that evangelistic effort God has assigned them to you you are their friend their classmate their co-worker their loved one and maybe the only Christian example they will ever have you are given an inroad that I am not provided with because they know you personally And they love you dearly. Guys, bring them to Sunday school. Say, Brother Ken, I I just can't talk to them about Jesus. Well, if you just can't get it out, bring them to Sunday school. Well, what good will that do? One in three people that start and get involved in Sunday school will come to a saving knowledge of Christ as lost. I'm going to tell you. The statistic says one out of 240 will come to Christ who just comes and visits a worship service. Don't say a lot for us preachers, does it? It is that personal relationship with someone that opens the door to their heart and their life. You are needed in evangelism. You're needed in service. (laughs) From cutting broccoli to setting up chairs, taking down tables, from changing the sign to visiting people, from being willing to be a class teacher or to volunteer to teach in Bible school. 
there are thousands of places to serve in the life of this church. I'm going to tell you guys, right now we need young men that's got the willingness and the wherewith to get in the attic of this church and help us put lights in. Some of us are getting a little old to make it through those rafters. It's a place to serve. It is an opportunity to serve. You're needed in service. Whether it's Bible school or on the job site or even in the grocery store, when you reflect Christ to others. You're needed in the marketplace. It may be the athlete in the locker room that stands up for what's right as a Christian example when everyone else is doing what's wrong. You're needed in the marketplace. It may be your office where you work or the beauty salon that you go to that your message as a Christian is needed. It may be on the practice field of the band or it may be in the lunchroom at school where your strong Christian testimony needs to take root, that you are needed. It may be a parent at the ball field that gives the example of Christian behavior that helps set an example and draw others to Christ. We are needed, you are needed in the marketplace. You're needed in counseling. Most of life situations... What is needed is understanding and care. If you've lost a loved one, if you've battled depression, if you've suffered chronic pain, if you've failed at something very important in life, a relationship or a job, if you've conquered alcohol or drugs, you have been through experiences of life that uniquely qualify you to counsel others struggling with some of the same issues. You see what I'm talking about? God takes the experiences of life through which we pass and He uses it to uniquely qualify us to minister to and to help others over those same difficult and painful struggles. You have a resource to draw upon unique opportunity to help. Why is the man in the pew needed in ministry? Your Lord needs you. God didn't intend for you to sit on the sideline. Like Ananias who God sent to Paul, God sends you. Like Philip who was sent to the eunuch, God sends you. Like the little boy who opened up his lunchbox and said, Lord, it ain't much, but I give it to you. God uses you and I. There are people in this congregation today because a neighbor said, would you go to church with me? That's a fact. That's a fact. There are kids here today because a parent was encouraged by someone else. That's a fact. Ken, I can't preach. I can't hardly talk to people in public. That's not the gift of everyone. But we can love them. We can befriend them. We can be there for them. The Lord needs you. I'm going to tell you something. Your spirit needs you to be involved. 
The reason the English people left their churches because one writer says they were fed up with truths that came to them but never flowed through them. It's not enough to come and learn. It is when we go and we participate and we share that we find fulfillment in our Christian life. You have so much to give. Are we willing to do it? Guys, there's nothing like seeing the tear in a man's eye who sees a child walk an aisle and trust Christ because they've taught him in Sunday school. There's nothing like seeing a buddy come and invite Jesus into their life because you were their witness, their counselor, their friend. There's nothing like watching a family come to the knowledge of Christ because you invited them. You said, I want to share with There's nothing like seeing a marriage come back together because when they needed somebody to listen, you became their listener and their counselor. And you encouraged them to hang in there and to work out their issues and to love them through those experiences. Your church needs you in ministry. I'm going to tell you something. Uninvolved laymen become critical. When a man gets involved, the critic in him will die and a servant will be born. There's no happy place in sitting on the sideline. A lot of you in this room's played athletics in some form or fashion through the years. You've been on some kind of team. I'm going to ask you, is it fun to sit on the sideline? It's not. There's nothing like that moment when the coach taps you on the shoulder and says, go in. You look forward for that moment. You live for that moment. Whatever form of participation it might be, there is no joy in the sideline. Several years ago, there was a movie called Top Gun. You may have seen it. You may have not. Brother Ken, what Christian principle? I just want to teach you. Let me tell you something. Top Gun was a story about young airplane pilots being prepared for war. You see, you know what I'm talking about. Among them was a young man who was a wild card. He was wild in the sky like he was wild in his life. One day his foolish behavior caused him to crash his plane in training and kill his best friend. He was not quite through with his training. They managed to finish the training and soon he was sent to an aircraft carrier in the ocean. When an event occurred and the enemy was up there and two jets were scrambled, his was one of them. He was one of the best of the best. But over his head hung the memory of the loss of his best friend. They got in the sky, these two jets, and began to fight the enemy. And all of a sudden he panicked. He left. He left his friend out there in the sky to fight the enemy by himself. And he's just kind of floating around out there. And behind him is the gunner. And he is hollering at him, engage, get back in the battle. And he's like he's sitting there with the wheels turning in his head like he's trying to figure this all out. And finally it hits him that he can't leave that guy back there by himself. 
And he turns that jet and he carries it back into the battle. And he shoots down the enemies and he saves his friend and he finds his way. I'm going to tell you something, guys. There is no joy. There is no fulfillment. There is no happiness sitting out there in no man's land on the sideline. God needs every one of us engaged. Wherever he has placed us, he needs us engaged in the battle. There are several passages in Amos I wanted to read you this morning. I didn't get there. But the bottom line was Amos was the magnificent man in the pew who when God tapped him on his shoulder was willing to engage himself in the battle for Christ. Let me say something to you teenagers. You're here because you love Jesus. I know that. But when you get back into your world, I want you to remember something. You are God's magnificent boy or girl in the pew. And God needs you engaged in your battlefield called high school and middle school and even elementary school. God needs us engaged on the work site on the ball field God needs us engaged in the vacation Bible school classroom and even in the top of an old church building that needs lights he needs us to serve him guys there's too many of God's great saints sitting on the sideline when there's a place he needs you to be engaged May he challenge us with his truth this morning. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Oh, Father, be with us. Challenge us with the words of Amos and his example. Challenge us, Father, with the example of Philip, who was willing to go stand by a lonely, abandoned desert road when it didn't make sense because you told him to go. Father, help us to trust you enough to follow you and to love you enough to let your word work through us and not simply pass by us. I pray, Lord, you'll challenge us in that way this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be here this morning. You say, Brother Ken, I love the Lord, but I need to commit myself to serve him where he needs me. I invite you to come. Rededicate your life and say, I'm willing to serve him. You may need to join this church. You may need to come and ask Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. We're going to sing a couple of verses this morning. We're going to go home. But if God is speaking to you, I invite you to come.